Welcome to the Rosemont Baptist Church podcast. Rosemont is a thriving group of believers who desire to connect with Jesus and his church, grow in faith and understanding of God's word, and serve in our local area and around the world. We are located in LaGrange, Georgia at 3794 Hamilton Road and invite you to attend any of our three services on Sunday mornings. Please visit our website at rosemontchurch.org for more information. And now we pray that God speaks to you in a personal way as you listen to this week's message from Pastor Adam Camp. Take your Bibles and open to Exodus chapter 20. Exodus chapter 20. We are continuing our study this morning through the book of Exodus. Just an incredible story of the majesty and the glory and the magnificence of Jesus Christ, of the Lord and how he's going to show us Jesus Christ as we'll see here in just a few minutes as he ties the picture together of the New Testament and the Old. And we've kind of gotten to this point where the Lord has led them to the mountain, where the Lord has kind of brought them through the desert and through the Red Sea. He's led them to Mount Sinai. He's gotten to the point where he's going to now give them the Ten Commandments, this significant moment in Jewish history. And if you think about the, the, the history of the Jews, a lot of what they look back on is founded in the Exodus especially the Passover and the law that we're going to walk through over the next several weeks. But we spent a couple of weeks ago, we spent some time looking at the Ten Commandments. And we took kind of a big picture approach to understand what they were and why they're significant. I'm going to give you just kind of a quick review to kind of put it in perspective again before we really delve into the first commandment and and know specifically what the Lord is teaching through it. We kind of said three things about the Ten Commandments a couple of weeks ago. The first was that God has spoken to us through his word. Right? We understand the spoken word has been given to us through the Ten Commandments. We don't serve a God who's isolated. We don't serve a God who is distant. We serve a God who has chosen to speak to us, to speak to us directly through his word. So we've seen that through the Ten Commandments. The second truth we saw a couple of weeks ago was the truth of God's word. Right? God has cho- chosen to speak to us through his word, through the Ten Commandments, later through Christ. In fact, John 14, 6, Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And then the third thing we saw kind of wrapped up in the Ten Commandments is the idea of love. How the Ten Commandments really demonstrate the love of the Lord for us. In fact, we read in the New Testament when the scholars were asking Jesus to kind of sum up and to give them the greatest commandment, he said, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the greatest in the first commandment, and the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. So it's God's word, his truth, and his love. Now I want to summarize again just very quickly before we get into specifics of the Ten Commandments. And so we've got them listed on the screen, and they're divided into really two main ideas. The first four commandments deal with how we relate to the Lord, how we love him, how we serve him, how we speak about him, how we honor the Sabbath. Go to the next slide, verses 5 through, excuse me, uh, commandments 5 through 10 speak about how we relate to the world, right? So it's loving God in the first portion, loving man. How do we relate to God? How do we relate to our neighbor? And so as we walk through these verses, as we get a better sense of exactly who the Lord is, we're going to go verse by verse and commandment by commandment. We're going to begin this morning with the first commandment. In fact, we'll spend all morning 
walking through these three verses, Exodus chapter 20, beginning in verse 1. So Moses has gone to the top of the mountain. Moses is hearing from the Lord. The Lord is speaking and been very clear to Moses. The people have surrounded the mountain. God's now going to give him the first commandment in Exodus 20, beginning in verse 1. And God spoke all these words, saying, I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. Now, I just want to spend a lot of time thinking about verse 2, which will lead us really into verse 3. And I've kind of underlined a couple of sections that I want to draw your attention to. So put, put that first point up, if you would. I am the Lord your God. I've underlined the word I am, the words I am. And if you're taking notes, you should do that as well, because I want to kind of draw something out for you that I want to make sure you don't miss. Words matter. Right? Even in the world we live in, sometimes words seem to have different meanings. But words matter in Scripture, and when the Lord gives us specific words, we need to take note of those words. And so when he begins the Ten Commandments with the idea of I am, I want you to understand the critical role that plays and why it matters. Now, if you've been with us for a period of time now, walking through the book of Exodus, you'll be familiar with what I'm about to say, because several weeks ago, when we were in Exodus chapter 3, we studied the burning bush. Now, let me just set the stage for you, right? Moses has fled from Egypt. He's wandering in the wilderness. He's got sheep. He's gone, the Bible says, kind of the other side of the desert. And as he's kind of tending to his sheep one night, he notices a bush that's burning but not consumed. He goes to the bush. He speaks, the Lord speaks to Moses through the bush. And he says in Exodus chapter 3, verse 10, this is the Lord speaking to Moses, Come, I will send you to Pharaoh that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? And he said, But I will be with you, and that shall be the sign for you that I have sent you. When you have brought the people of Egypt, you shall serve God on this mountain. Now, we've got the next couple of verses of Exodus chapter 3, verse 13. I want you to listen to what the Lord says here. Then Moses said to God, If I come to the people of Israel... And say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you. And they ask, what is his name? What shall I say to them? And God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, say this to the people of Israel. I am has sent me to you. Right? You see the connection there? God says, I am the great I am, right? And when he says that, he's talking about his eternal nature, his divinity, he's unchanging, he's infinite, he's self-existent. And so when God begins the Ten Commandments with this phrase, I am, he's drawing this straight line back to the burning bush to remind the people of Israel exactly who he is, exactly what he's done, and exactly what he has accomplished. Now, the Jewish people would have known this. We have to be reminded of it. They would have known it clearly. They would have understood the significance. They would have known exactly what the Lord's doing here. And to them, it would have meant something. One writer explained it like this. He said, I am is the ultimate statement of self-sufficiency, self-existence, and immediate presence. God's existence is not contingent upon anyone else. His plans are not contingent upon any circumstances. He promises that he will be what he will be. That is, he will be eternally constant God. He stands ever present 
and unchangeable, completely sufficient in himself to do what he wills to do and to accomplish what he wills to accomplish. Right, so the Lord in the first two words of the Ten Commandments, go back to that first main point, I am. The Lord in the first two words of the Ten Commandments, when he says, I am the Lord your God, he's reminding the people of Israel all that he's done, all that he's accomplished, his majesty, his power, and his glory. But he's doing something else for us. Now, when Moses wrote this, when the people of Israel read this, they didn't have a full understanding of the scripture like we do. They didn't have the New Testament like we do. And so the Lord has kind of given us this glimpse of what is to come, right? He's already kind of reminded them of the burning bush and who he is and what he's accomplished. He's also reminding us as we read it and study it and understand it of exactly who Jesus is going to be. Now let me remind you, Jesus, as he walked the earth, had all sorts of interesting discussion with religious leaders, and oftentimes they would try to trip him up. They would try to confuse him. They would try to ask him questions that he couldn't understand. And we find one of those accounts in John chapter 8. I'm just going to read it to you. I want you to listen. As we think about the Lord is the great I am, I want you to listen to the words of Jesus in John chapter 8, beginning in verse 53. Here's what the religious leaders said to him. Are you greater than our father Abraham who died and the prophets died? Who do you make yourself out to be? And they're asking Jesus. Jesus answered, if I glorify myself, my glory is nothing. It's my Father who glorifies me, of whom you say he is our God. But you have not known him. I know him. If I were to say that I do not know him, I would be a liar like you. But I do know him, and I keep his word. Still Jesus talking. Your father Abraham rejoiced that he would see my day. He saw it and was glad. So the Jews said to Jesus, you are not 50 years old, and have you seen Abraham? And Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. So they picked up stones to throw at him, but Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple. Right? They picked up stones because he was claiming to be fully God. They understood it. And so when the Lord speaks to us in the Ten Commandments, I am the Lord your God, he's reminding us of all that he has done. He's reminding us of the burning bush. He's reminding us of how he led the people through the wilderness. He's also pointing ahead to Jesus. See, seven times in the book of John, Jesus is going to use this phrase again. He's going to do it in John 6, 35, I am the bread of life. John 8, 12, I am the light of the world. John 10, 7, I am the door. John 10, 11, I am the good shepherd. John eleven twenty five, 25, I am the resurrection and the life. John 14, 6, I am the way and the truth and the life. John 15, 5, I am the vine. Right? The Lord wants us to see his greatness and his majesty and his glory, who always was and who is and who will be. Just as the Lord saved the people of Israel then, Jesus still saves us today. He is the great I am. Now look at Exodus again, chapter 20, verse 1. God spoke all these words saying, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. Here's the second truth, right? I am the Lord your God. I want to think for just a few minutes about being the Lord your God because the Lord says, listen, I'm powerful, I'm, mad, I'm majestic, I always have been, I always will be, but it's more than just this distant deity that lives in heaven. I am, in fact, 
your God. See the difference? There's a very personal tone to this statement. There's a very personal idea. And this is the thing the Lord has already said to the people of Israel. In fact, when he was talking to Abraham back in Genesis 17, he made this promise to Abraham. And he said, I will give to you and to your offspring after you the land of your sojournings, all the land of Canaan for an everlasting possession, and I will be their God. Right? We, don't, we don't serve a distant God who doesn't care. We serve a God who's intimate and close and loves us, and he is our God. We are his people. That's what the scripture teaches. Now, when John Calvin wrote about this, and John Calvin's a very famous theologian, I'm going to borrow something he said because he gave kind of four ideas because of what the Lord has done for us, because all of he's given to us, it should lead us to four things, adoration, trust, invocation, and thanksgiving. John Calvin says, listen, because of all the Lord has done for us, because of all he's given, because of all that Christ has done and given, it should lead us, first of all, to adore him. When you think about all Christ has done for you, it should lead to this place of adoration and hope and worship. It should lead you to this place of trust. Trusting him in all things, trusting you very life with him. If we were to go kind of through this congregation and ask you what you trust, we trust a lot of things, right? We trust our intelligence. We trust our work ethic. We trust other people. Maybe we trust our careers or our bank account. We trust a lot of things, don't we? How often do we trust the Lord? As we think about what Christ has done As we think about the great I am, it should lead us to a place of trust. It should lead us to a place of invocation as well. Invocation is the action of invoking something or someone for assistance or as an authority. It's the idea of relying on the Lord. How much are we relying on Christ? How much are we trusting him? How much are we leaning on him? And it leads us finally to thanksgiving. We're thankful for what the Lord has done. We're thankful for what he's given. We're thankful that he is our God and we are his people. John Calvin said, it's not enough to refrain from other gods. We must at the same time devote ourselves wholly to him. Right? So we've kind of built this case. He's mag- Bring that, that truth back up. He's majestic. He's powerful. He's glorious. He's our God. There's a personal note of who he is. Because of all he has done, because of all he has given, because of his love, because of the personal nature of the sacrifice of Jesus, it leads us kind of this third idea. He says in Exodus 21, God spoke all these words saying, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery, you shall have no other gods before me. Here's the third truth we see very simply right out of the scripture. You shall have no other gods before me. Because of his glory, because of his majesty, because of his wonder, because of the personal nature of who he is, he calls us to worship him and to worship him alone. Now remember, the people of Israel had just come out of Egypt, which was polytheistic. That means they worshiped a lot of gods. The Lord says, listen, you need to set that aside. You need to ignore that. You need to set all the false idols aside. And instead, you need to follow me. You need to serve me only, right? Very simply, very clearly, because I'm the great I am, because of what I've given, because of what I've done, you shall have no other gods before me, right? That sounds great. 
and we hear that, and we like that, and we applaud that, and we amen that. The problem is we don't live that way, do we? In fact, if we were honest, we play around with our allegiance. We serve other gods, don't we? Myself included. I, I can be at the front of the line here. I'm not preaching at you. I'm, I'm speaking as one among you because I struggle with this just like you do. There are all sorts of modern idols that we put ahead of the Lord. There are all sorts of other small g gods that we put ahead of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, like money, power, hobbies, career, fame, pleasure, possession, on and on the list goes, right? We can't have allegiance to other things and have true allegiance to the Lord. That's what the Bible teaches. Now, I'm going to put this in modern terms to help you better understand. Men, I'm going to speak to you just for a second. Ladies, you'll understand this. And if you're not married, I think you'll probably get it too. Just imagine, ladies, if your husband came home tomorrow after work and he said something like this, honey, I love you. I've always loved you. I love our marriage. I love being around you, but I've met somebody else and I love her too. And so what I've decided to do, honey, is stay with you and allow her to kind of enter into our life, right? And so I'm going to start spending some time with her. I love you, but I love her too. Sometimes I'm going to be with you. Sometimes I'm going to be with her. Some nights I'll be with you. Some nights I'll be with her. I'm going to ask her to go ahead and move in with us. I think you two are going to get along really well. I think you're going to be great friends. I want you to know I just love you both so, so much. How's that go for you, men? Not very well, right? I'll probably be doing your funeral here in a couple of days. <laughs> we laugh. We get it, right? We get it. We 100% get it, man. But we live like that with the Lord. That's what we say to Christ. We don't put it in those words. We don't quite think about it like that. But we have all sorts of things that we want to enter the picture. Lord, I love you, but I got somebody else too. Jesus, I love you, but I'm going to be spending time with somebody else. Jesus, I love you, but I love this person too. And I want you all to kind of live together and coexist and Jesus, sometimes I'll give to you and, and do things for you, but then there'll be times I'm going to kind of ignore you and give to this other thing. That's kind of how we live, isn't it, right? The Lord says, listen, you can't serve two masters. You can't serve multiple gods. You need to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, right? You'd have no other gods before me. Why did the Lord tell us this? Because he knew our hearts are designed to worship. He knew that we'd look for other things. He knew that our allegiance would be tested. Now, if we were going to be very honest and kind of get all the way down to, to, to the foundation of what really causes all this, there are lots of idols in this world, but ourself is the greatest, isn't it? Like Adam wants what Adam wants. And Adam will sin sometimes to get it, right? God reminds us, I am the King of kings and the Lord of lords. You're to serve no other God. So I've got just a couple of questions I'm going to throw up on the screen as we kind of wind this down to kind of test. You're saying, I, I get it. I'm just not quite sure what the idols are in my life. How can I better know? Well, this is just some questions that may help you think through that. What do you desire? That's a good question to answer. When your mind is free to roam, what do you think about? Man, that's a great one. Are you thinking about how you can better serve the Lord how you can witness to that person at work, looking forward to your next quiet time, or are there other things that are on your mind? How do you spend your money? That's a good one. When you get excited, what do you get excited about? Right. If you want to know what your idols are, just answer those questions. 
Just think through those questions, jot those down, really be honest with yourself, write some answers. And I I got a feeling that if you think enough about it, your idols will begin to appear and emerge. And I got a feeling for most of us, Jesus might not be at the top of that list. And so the Lord reminds us, you're to have no other gods. You can't worship more than one God. And so I want to finish with an example. You say, what does this look like for somebody that, that... wanted to live like this but couldn't? What does this look like for the person that seeks the world? What does this look like for the person that tried to find things other than the Lord? Let me just remind you of King Solomon. Solomon, the Bible teaches, was the wisest man that ever lived in his stories in Ecclesiastes 2. In fact, I've got a couple of verses that I want you to see to understand exactly what goes through King Solomon's mind. He says in Ecclesiastes 2 verse 1, I said in my heart, Come now, I will test you with pleasure. Enjoy yourself. In other words, he's saying, I want what I want. I want to get what I want to get, right? I want to bring pleasure to my life. So verse 4, he says, he kind of lays out what he did. So I made great works. Here's what Solomon did. I built houses and planted vineyards for myself. I made myself gardens and parks and planted in them all kinds of fruit trees. I made myself pools from which to water the forest of growing trees. I, brought, I bought male and female slaves. I had slaves who were born in my house. I had also great possessions of herds and flocks, more than any who had been known before me in Jerusalem. I also gathered for myself silver and gold and the treasure of kings and provinces. I got singers, both men and women, and many concubines, the delight of the sons of man. So I became, verse 9, great and surpass all who were before me in Jerusalem. Also, my wisdom remained with me, and whatever my eyes desired, I did not keep from them. I kept my heart from no pleasure, for my heart heart found pleasure in all my toil, and this was my reward for all my toil, right? So Solomon says, listen, I wanted what I wanted, and I got it. Houses and women and riches and possessions and fame and anything I wanted, I got it, right? This guy, by definition of the world, had it all. How does it turn out, verse 11? Then I considered all that my hands had done and the toil I had expended in doing it. And behold, all was vanity and a striving after the wind. And there was nothing to be gained under the sun. And then he summarizes in verse 17. So I hated life because what is done under the sun was grievous for me, for all is vanity and a striving after wind. You know, if you're not real pleased with your life, you just can't seem to find true peace or joy. It might be because you're running after the wrong things. There is only hope in Christ. You want to defeat the idols of the world, turn to Christ. And trust him only. Jesus says, listen, you can't serve multiple masters. You can only have one God. Serve Christ, trust him, and allow him to do great work for his kingdom. Let me pray for us. Father, we thank you for this clear teaching, for this clear picture you've given us, Father, of who you are, of your majesty and your glory. Lord, we thank you that you have kind of shown us very clearly all we can do and how we should live and the significance of putting you first in all things. So I pray, Father, we'd remember your your power, remember who you are, remember all that you've done, remember that you are our God and we are your people. 
And because of that, Father, worship no other gods. Put you first, trust you in all things. Father, use us to do great things for the sake of your kingdom. We'll give you the praise and the honor and the glory. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen.